Hey, how's it going? It's Imran here. I'm currently in a field at the end of day two of the Byline Festival. It's 9 p.m. As you can probably hear in the background, the nighttime entertainment's just started. I'll probably go on till about, till about 2 a.m. judging by last night. And I guess they only stop because of local council regulations. But uh, it is non-stop here. It's amazing. Earlier on today, there was a panel and it was called Brexit and Empire. And on that panel was the Byline Times editor, Hardeep Matharu, and Lord Victor Adeboale, who is the crossbench peer, Aisha Ali Khan, who is a secondary school teacher of English and history, who has been campaigning for Remain for four years. And I thought, as part of the podcast, we would dig into uh, some of the stuff that came out of that panel, especially Empire, because myself, Hardeep, and Victor are effectively children of empire so we were able to really dig deep and kind of tell our personal stories check it out the byline festival brings together activists journalists environmentalists mentalists music lovers politicians change makers rebels disruptors and comedians to dance sing shout debate discuss laugh and ultimately change the world you know i've got um i want to tell you a story i've got a cousin okay and he grow, he's grown up on probably the most exclusive council estate in the UK. Okay. It is directly adjacent to the Home Office. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. I know it. You know where it is, right? I know where it is. And Very nice. he, against all the odds, managed to study at Cambridge. And he is as in a city mm-hmm. as it gets. He's from... Mm. Indian heritage, second mm. generation. Mm. People do. Went to regular schools mm. and his talent was recognized. Mm. <clears throat> he had the right mentors. Yep, that's the thing. They opened the doors. Yep. He went to Pembroke College. Yep. He mm. studied engineering. Yep. He was one of the best in the class yep. and he's now graduated. Yeah, right? well done him. You, mm. Victor, mm. are a lord. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> Hardy. Yes. You studied at Cambridge. Yes. Okay. I mm. studied at Leeds University. Very good. And mm. my education was paid for. Mm. Mm. What's our problem with mm. this country? What's mm. our problem with empire? Well, empire seems to have delivered us to these lands and yeah. given us these opportunities to thrive. And we are examples of that. So yeah. So what's our beef? Well, I tell you, I'll, uh, this is really interesting because I, I got a CBE a while ago and um, uh, I got this CBE and a number of people commented, you know, um, why have you got a CBE? You know, why, why have you accepted it? Because people mm. like um, uh, um, Benjamin Zephaniah and others, you know, refused to, ac- refused to accept it. It's the commander of the British Empire, the commander of the it? British Empire. They refused to accept it and a number of people have sent, have sent theirs back. Mm. Um, Yasmin Alibaya-Brand, I think, sent mm. hers back. And they were like, there were lots of people going, you know, you hypocrite, why are you doing this? And I said, well, look, black people have been on this, I was kind of joking, but black people have been in this country for 400 years. Um, one of the first governors of the UK was a black guy, Septimus Severus, a uh, place put here by the Romans. And I said, black people have been here for 400 years, um, and there were slaves for 200 of those, right? The least I can do when offered a command to bit of it is to say, yeah. It's not. So you're taking a bit it's back. Not, it's not. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's not. You know, I'm laughing at my own joke, but it's kind of. It's kind of. Yeah. Look, the fact of the matter is, it was an empire. You know, it did subjugate people, 
and still we rise, right? Still people came over here and fought and worked and contributed and created and, you know, here we are. We, we stand on the shoulders of people and reached a bit higher. So what? I'm not complaining about Britain. I never have complained about Britain. Love the place, right? I mean, I kiss the ground every time I land on Heathrow or whatever. But that doesn't make it perfect and it doesn't mean that it couldn't be better. And also, it doesn't mean the story that you've that you've told is mm. the exception that proves the rule. Mm. That's look at the statistics of Oxford and Cambridge, by by far, by far, mm. if you went to a private school, if you're white, and you will stand more chance of getting there. And if, according to the the, um, the work done by the Sutton Trust, a poor kid who's as intelligent as your cousin mm. will be overtaken by a not as clever kid who's rich by the age of seven. So you're talking about, you are an exception that proves the rule. You both mm, are actually, mm. as am I. You know, you are, feast your eyes, right? Because there's not many six foot black guys with dreads who've been in the House of Lords for nigh as damn it 20 years. Mm. You know, um, I wasn't born to this. It's a happy accident. I didn't plan it. It happened by, you know, and there are people who hate me for it and there are people who don't. But my point is that for, for us, it, is, it, it wasn't written in the stars, right? Mm. It was written, you know, with it's work, it's not privilege, it's effort, it's yeah. not expectation. It's, you know, and in fact, um, there's work done now in the education system that shows that teachers, um, and it certainly happened to me, don't expect black kids to be clever, and expectation and performance actually are linked. So if your teacher doesn't expect you to get on, you won't get on, or at least you won't get on as well as what happened to your cousin, which is, in my view, almost certainly necessary for everyone I've known who have ever been to Oxbridge. I'll be interested in your story, which is at some point, somebody, and it's luck, luck, nothing else, somebody has said, bloody hell, you're smart. Have you ever mm. thought about... And you might have gone, Ooh, no, not really, because when I was a kid in Wakefield... People, Oxford and Cambridge, it's something you watched on telly. In fact, university, it's something you watched on telly. Your people didn't go to. So, and my point is, every now and then, luck comes in, the teacher spots you and goes, you know what? You ever mm. thought about going to Cambridge? No. I'll tell you what, I'll show you. I'll put my, I'll put my arm around you. And that putting the arm around mm. you. Mm. Interesting. Gives you the confidence, teaches mm. you the rules. Um, helps you understand the language, the, the process. Mm. It's not just academia, it's also behaviour, language, processing that gets you into these things. And any university, academia by definition, is a, is a process of learning a certain language, a certain way of behaviour, a certain way of accepting and dealing with facts. Okay. And if you don't learn that, you're not going to okay, get it. Okay, so what, what I'm hearing is, is that essentially we don't really live in the meritocracy that we're sold. What do you well, think? Well, it's interesting that... Really? No, we don't. We don't. And I'm, I'm curious about yeah, you, Heidi. My... Do, do you feel that... Were you primed for Oxford? Or was it a happy coincidence? Well, I, I, went, I studied law at sorry, Cambridge. Cambridge, Cambridge and I was, so I, was I, I think I'm really interested in the forces that shape us and understanding that, which is what Victor and I were talking mm. about earlier in terms of it, understanding the legacy of the British Empire and why it's relevant to what's happening today. And so I think it's really interesting that actually... Um, my parents, one of their crowning achievements in their life is that they've had three children and 
their two daughters went to Cambridge University. Yeah, that means a hell of a lot to them. Oh, yeah. And I was, my father told me and my siblings early on that education is your passport. That's been mine. They actually, because my parents, my dad's from Nairobi, my mom's from India originally, Ooh. I was born here. Because they grew up with this notion of empire in the mother country and the opportunities it held for, for people who were immigrants, they, from a very early age in their children instilled this concept of you've you're here mm, get your education the yeah, there are yeah, places yeah. like cambridge out there <laughs> aim for cambridge you can do it and therefore i have to recognize the impact of colonialism on my parents understanding mm -hmm. of what was good for me and i tell you you know i i absolutely relished my time at cambridge yeah. it was such a privilege it was so important well, to is. me but i did a law degree and after three years i graduated I'm not in law now I'm a journalist mm -hmm. and I think more needs to be said about uh, these sort of colonial inspired ideals and expectations of what immigrants Absolutely. need to do to be to have seen to have made it in this but society so I was I was going to be a barrister and it's a very respectable respectable very intellectually stimulating incredible job mm. but what I discovered at Cambridge was mm. I just love talking to people <laughs> I just wanted to oh, know dear. about their lives and their stories and it you know I was curious about society in a very broad way which law couldn't quite give me because it's mm. you know your law is a profession it's a stru it's structured mm. it's mm. law and justice are different things it's a whole concept mm. and therefore I became a journalist and what did, that, what, did your, what did your parents think about At first, they didn't understand it. They were like, we don't understand what's it. What's going on? Yeah. You know, you <laughs> want to be embarrassed of what's happening. What the but they're incredible. This? They've been on that journey with me and they're very, they're very aware that, you know, we're not, I'm not living in Kenya or India. They brought three children up mm. in Britain. Mm. So they do have a philosophical awareness of the complexity mm. that brings. Yeah. But to be the honest, you know, I think it is, I was very aware of Oxbridge from an early age. Um, I went to a grammar school. I think I was recognised by certain teachers. But would I say that when I got to Cambridge, I felt ultra confident? No. There were lots of people who well, had been to private schools. Well, was getting there and surviving yeah, when you were there. Who had this natural things. confidence yeah. that, you know, I was a head girl at school, but I didn't have that level of confidence. Yeah. And when I made that decision to, you know, not pursue law and go into journalism, because, and I would say this, you know, my parents didn't have any connections in journalism. They don't know how you get into journalism. I had no connections. I had no privilege in that sense. Mm. I was, I'm a daughter of immigrants. Um, I'm the editor of Byline Times because I'm very, very proud that I don't fit in any box. Mm. I love sitting here with people like mm. you and Victor who don't, you can't box them. But I recognise what you're saying, that I'm well, an exception to the rule. I'm not are. pretending that you're everyone is like me. And, I mean, look at journalism. Know. There's loads of evidence that the, the, the professions are not meritocracies. Um, no. Journalism, law, politics. One in 12 of our politicians are the sons and daughters of former politicians. Yeah. Um, you know, so we are, and it's increasing. I'd like to think it, that social mobility was getting better. Actually, it's not. It's going in the opposite direction. So... Mm. It, it, you know, it's worrying, and and it's important that people understand that when they see people like us in a way that you know have done okay, um, that they don't think that's normative because it mm, ain't. Mm. It just isn't. The Wish it was, but it isn't. But the thing is about these examples, like the one I bring mm. up. I mean, clearly I'm playing devil's advocate with mm. it, but um, 
these are the kind of examples that are brought forward by the ruling classes to say that you know what things are fine mm. you know that there, there is such a thing they as social are. mobility and, and the data goes out the window and obviously experts yeah. now are not meant to be listened to according to Gove well it's so, your point about narrative yeah and this is the thing that's dominating now so you know the better the better storyteller you are yeah yeah. the better you are able to control yeah, the narrative true. and so you know then you get somebody like Boris Johnson who enters mm. into government despite all of the incredibly foolish things I could use another word but foolish <laughs> things that that man has said um, and he's still been elected and he, and he still yeah. he still rules us I actually think that you know Boris Johnson is not by any means the worst of the people that have ruled this this country uh, going back a while and I think I think the difference between Boris and some of the others is that he's more open about it, and he's done his, you know, he's, he's said his things in public. Um, mm. I think racists and people who don't think much of the public actually have, have gained power, you know, um, long since. And I, I, I kind of think, well, you know, um, but I do think going back to this thing about stories, um, I think you're very right. I think that's very true that 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 the exception becomes the rule through the narrative of the exceptionalism. They're sort of, you know, if he can do it, then everybody can. And then you look, dig into, I mean, um, the, the ex, well, the now Chancellor Exchequer um, is a good, good example. Um, he, from humble beginnings, you know, dad was a bus driver. Um, they always uh, say that. My dad then, actually was a bus driver yeah. too. <laughs> I don't mention it too often. No, 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 yeah. was a bus driver and then he went to college and went to Cambridge and then he became a banker and now he's very wealthy and a banker and very, and he, and he f- tells, and that is the story. And it's like the American dream story. You know, if mm. he can do it, you can do it too. But I, I'm more interested in the, in the real stories of, of, how the dynamics of yeah. social mobility really work. And, and these and things are always so complex, aren't they? It's a bit like the lottery winner. You know, I won the lottery, so you can too. You can, absolutely. Mm. But you have a one in 16 million to one chance of actually winning. I think yeah. it's 16 trillion to one chance. Somebody will win. Yeah. But the chances of it being you, exactly. even if you work really, really hard, are actually not as good as the person next to you who actually doesn't have to work out at all I mean doesn't literally mm. have to work out at all because as long as they're born with a functioning mind and they can think reasonably they will be coached into the best jobs into the best universities into the best and the problem with that is this if you don't have a meritocratic society then you are not um, you, you are not engaging the best brains in solving society's mm. problems and that's really dangerous I mean look at us we're literally burning the earth and the solutions to those problems aren't going to come from people who expect to be leaders. Mm. They're going to come from people who are really genuinely smart. Yeah. The, the genuinely smart. The people who, you know, I mean, I think the next Einstein is not going to be a white person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but it might well be a white. Per- it might well be a black person who never gets the chance. Who ne- who's just unlucky. Nobody yeah. puts their arm around them. It's really interesting what you're saying, Victor, because my experience, as I've said, so I did a law degree at Cambridge, decided not to become a barrister after graduating and entering journalism. To all intents and purposes, I am the person we're talking about. I'm the exception to the rule. I've made it. Mm. I've been at Oxbridge. Um, because of how I look, I'm very fair. Mm. People and the way I talk and my education, people mm. have always, as I said, mm. thought of me as sort of just a white person, I guess. But here's what's interesting. Here's where... Um, the sort of structural elements of what we're talking about comes in. Because as I said, when I made that move from law into journalism, Mm. I started from square one. I had no contacts. I had not made any journalism contacts at Cambridge because I was doing law. 
my parents have no contacts. My dad actually said, mm. I don't know how you're going to be a journalist. <laughs> I have no idea. Like, they, there's no guidance. They could not provide any guidance. Yeah. I didn't know anyone in journalism. Yeah, yeah. And to be completely honest, you know, I worked for briefly for a stint at The Independent, which is a very rough time because the print edition was shutting down. It was all yeah. going online. But I've never, I've never written for The Guardian yeah. or The Telegraph or The Times. I am over, you know, I'm really thrilled that mm. people like Peter Jukes and Stephen Colgrave have set up things like Byline Festival to give a platform to people who, I don't know, just don't seem to fit anywhere else in the mainstream. I love it. I love Byline. So it's it's quite nuanced, I I think. It is nuanced, but I think that's the point, really, that there isn't much nuance in journalism anymore. In fact, there isn't much nuance in in narrative. And and I think what what people have been been, um, offered is the um, two-minute either-or story. And nuance is dead, and it's—I mean—I think the the Gove uh, notion of not listening to experts is that it's saying, you know, don't 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 be don't 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 worry about complications. You know, if you think it's right, it's right. Don't don't worry about complexity mm. or nuance. You know, don't worry your heads with that. Just go with the, go with your gut. You know, mm. Facts don't matter, and, and actually thinking, which is basically an amalgamation of emotion and fact, doesn't matter. Just go with just go with mm. you. You know, and it basically release the id. Don't matter with it, and it, it's it's dangerous. And it's and he knows it's dangerous coming from a man who's as highly educated and, and actually naturally intelligent as he is. He, he, you know, he knew what he was doing when he was saying that. And I think what we've done is reduce narrative into if it's not simple, if it can't be told in five mm. words or yeah. ten, you know, sun headline, it ain't a story. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's that's worrying. And this is one one of the places. I mean, people come here because they like stories, proper stories, with with you know complexity and nuance and things that challenge and mm. yeah, we don't get that I mean the press is very um, they're fed into it I mean I was talking to a guy the other just now actually whose best friend works for a newspaper and he earns a lot of money and he knows he's doing bad stuff he knows he's, he's lying he knows he's not you know in pursuit of the truth or anything he knows all that but he's got a couple of kids wife mortgage You've got to feed the beast. You know know something you mentioned in in your panel session Mm. was uh, this concept of empire of the mind. Mm. What did you mean by that? Mm. I meant that we don't have an empire anymore, except in the minds of some people. And I think that one of the the tropes, if that's the right word, one of the most successful tropes, ideas, memes, whatever, about Brexit was that we could be an empire again. And that Britain, you know, can be... um, uh, an empire that we can rule the world again, that mm. we don't have to, you know. Why does um, that linger? Because because it was the <laughs> look. It's not that long ago that we had slaves, and from 1600 to 18 late 1800s, we had an empire, and it was the biggest empire in the world. It was massive. It it controlled India, Canada. Yeah, the sun never sets on it. Yeah, absolutely. Famously. So I don't. I'm, I'm perfectly. I can understand how that cultural mm. memory is deeply it's embedded. It's a great story in, in whiteness, in in being in being a certain kind yeah. of Brit, where you were born into the empire, and you know the most important thing that you got was a British passport, and 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 to be, so that memory is deeply embedded. Mm. I, I don't I even don't if think people don't realise that. Okay, so well, let's yeah, use another example of a country that more. seems to have reconciled. Mm. A sense of supremacy, and that's, mm. that's Germany, mm. right? Mm. So we've probably all been to Germany yeah. at some point. Yeah, yeah. And 
it's not the it's not the place I expected all those years ago because it was quite soon after the Berlin Wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought I was in yeah. a bit of a dark place. And yeah, it was yeah. just the most friendly place yeah, I've been to. Yes. I felt more comfortable there as a person of colour yes. than I did in my own country. And you've so, got, this is a country yeah, yeah. that was responsible for the Nazis. Yeah. But that's, that, w- yeah. there, there lies the answer to your question. I mean, because I they were forced to look at lost. themselves. So it was interesting. I went to Berlin only a few months ago. I became... For Byline Times, I'm writing a series of stories called The Wall in the Mind. It's really interesting that Victor says The Empire in the Mind, um, uh, The Wall in the Mind, looking at why sort of Steve Bannon devised this concept of, oh, well, Trump doesn't need to actually ever build that US-Mexico wall. But as soon as he keeps talking about it, people will feel otherness in their minds. So I went to Berlin to it. I was only three when the Berlin Wall came down. I was kind of. Yeah, I was kind (laughs) of shocked that I'd never really looked (laughs) into it. I became fascinated by it. I went to the Stasi Museum. (laughs) But importantly, as I was walking around Berlin, in. There is history everywhere, but an acknowledgement history, not the statues we have in Trafalgar Square, mm. where the inscription says we're commemorating this man mm. who fought for the British during mm. the Sepoy Rebellion in India. Mm. Right? This is little plaque, gold plaques, mm. where Jewish people mm. used to live mm. and have businesses. Mm. This is a museum mm. which is dedicated to understanding the EU right next to the Brandenburg Gate. Mm. This is um, a museum that explores the Berlin Wall and the GDR and the, you know, Uh, the communist state and the capitalist state side by side in the middle of the city Mm -hmm. and I think what we're I mean what we were trying to get at in that panel earlier at the festival was why we not we don't hold a mirror up in this country to what we have done in the past and why that is still relevant today and I yeah and I do think that if because we don't have to we we don't have to that's what I believe we don't have to we won't so the reason why the mirror was held up to Germany well the, the lost two world wars the First World War, they lost badly, and the reparations were, were pretty horrific, and um, they 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 were they were made to pay, and um, there were recessions, and Hitler basically took advantage of, of recession and recessionary um, uh, thinking, and, and the notion that you know you didn't have to be like this, you know, what a great nation, you know, all these people and exploiting us and all that. Now people wanted something and he gave them something right mm-hmm. then the second world war came and they lost that and it, and it was i mean the second world war they killed 6 million people they 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 were they they drove and that was driven by the notion of german exceptionalism that german you know the master race right so mm-hmm. when they lost um, it wasn't just um, when the black guy um, uh, beat them at the Olympics because he wasn't supposed Jesse to Owens. Uh, Jesse Owen. It was it was actually you know they lost the war, they lost the, a world war, and they lost it badly, and that meant that they had to reflect on who the hell are we? Mm. We're not we're not the master race actually. We're just not. We might be really good at building cars. We might be really smart. We might be we might have a great culture. We might have a load of things that are really good and we want to do them. But we're not the master race. Okay, so let, let me let me use another example. So South Africa. Mm. Right. So mm. Nelson Mandela mm. famously mm. did not seek revenge. No, he didn't. No. He sought peace. Mm. And they went through mm. this reconciliation process, yeah. which was very very painful for yeah. the country, right? Very, yeah. And the reason I ask all of these questions, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very personal thing for me, mm. as I'm sure it is for you too. You know, I'm a child of the 70s. Mm. Right? I know mm. it's difficult to tell, but it's true. So I'm a child of the seventies <laughs> and you know, one of Thatcher's children, God bless mm. her. And I you know, I've struggled with mm. with the fact that I thought I was as English as fish and chips. Yeah. Right? Mm. I thought that. I'm born here, yeah. I speak the language, yeah. don't do too badly. Yeah. Right? I play yeah. by the rules. Yeah. 
I support, you know, I, yeah. I'm fanatical about football. Yeah. I mean, there is nowhere else that is home, mm. but it has never felt like home. And now I have children. Yeah. Yeah. And my children, mm. God bless them, they are of, I don't like the expression, of mixed race. Mm. So their mother is mm. white mm. and mm. I'm of Indian heritage, right? Yeah. And so now mm. I'm having to teach them mm. about what their heritage is, dual heritage, mm. they're multicultural, mm. what is their identity mm. as well. And I need to make a choice as to whether or not I pass on my understanding of empire and of this country to them or whether I'm burdening them with this. And so the reason I bring all of this up mm. is because I wish it didn't need to be this way. And what can we do as a society mm. to make it... Would you describe yourself as English? Uh on instinct, I would say British. I'm British yeah, Asian. British, interesting, British isn't it? Passport. British. Would you say British, British or British, English? British passport. Right. Why? Why aren't we English? Mm. Because well, English has a kind of a, a, a mm. notion of ethnicity. It white does, ethnicity. Yeah, yeah it, right? does. it does. And mm. so, you know, I, th I think we need to be in a different but place think, as a society, I, well, rather than where we are now. Because as much as it's interesting to talk like this, and I love meeting I you guys, agree with that. Um, I'd much rather be a little bit more normalised instead well, of exceptional. Yeah, well, yeah. but but what's normal? So I'm, I'm I, I think this is the problem. I think that. That, look, we're a minority. In case you've noticed, we, yeah. we are a minority in this country. At yeah, this festival, and, and, and at this festival, I mean, I made the remark, didn't I? I made the remark. You know, um, well, festivals. Where's the right person on this I podcast? I have to say, festi fest festivals generally, actually. I mean, I've been to a few recently, and they are generally white and quite middle class. I mean, if you've been to um, Wilderness, I mean, it's. Hay Festival, it's not have you called, been to Hay Festival? Hay Festival is unbelievable. It's like the whole I mean, Guardian like readership has descended on the Hay. Well, and now it's the Telegraph, but it's the, but it's, <laughs> oh, yes, the, it's like, it's, it, it is. And, and, and it basically says something about leisure and, and the notion of, you know, Maslow's hierarchies and, and, mm. and where, you know, where some mm. people have to spend the time as opposed to... But, you know, I'm normal, you're normal. Yes. This, Britain has been a multicultural society for a thousand years. And... That's the truth. It's not that. It's not that we. You know. It's not the lived truth, is it? No, no. But the, the, point, the point I'm making is that, that that is the truth. So that the lived, the dynamic of identity and culture and society is the truth. It isn't. It's never been. You know. There's never been a kumbaya um, mm. um, society in this in this country. There's been there's been ups and downs of. I mean, I was born in 1962, right? And so I've lived. Consciousness, but I lived through the seventies, and, um, and before, and, and I remember, I remember Britain being a fairly placid, placid place. My parents could remember the no dogs, no Irish, no blacks, mm, right? right. Um, before the Race Relations Act, I can remember. You know, the, the, we think it's bad now. You know, in the seventies, the, the the National Front were, were were respected. They were they were absolutely. You know, mm. um, now it's different, but still there. So there's never been this plateau of. Come by our, you know, let's all sing together. It's not, it's not real. I think what there has been of, of moments, times when it's been, when it's been easier to talk about this stuff, engage with it. In terms of my kids, it's not a case of, I let them find their own truths. Actually, what I do, or I try and do, is provide some, well, initially some boundaries, but also some wisdom, some advice as to how to deal with those truths. Because I've lived longer than they are. What I don't do is impose my truth on them because they're they're, they're living mm. a different life, right? They're living a different. They, they they will develop their own truths. My job is to give them the resilience and the skills, intellectually and emotionally, to, to deal with mm. that, work with the, it, and be so it. The thing the thing is for me, I struggled with identity growing up, mm. right? You mm. know, my parents came from, mothers from. They're mm. both from present day India, mm. but 
after partition, mm. yeah. some of the family needed yeah, to leave yeah. and they lost yeah. everything and yeah. now they're in Toronto, yeah. Canada, whatever. Yeah. I came, you know, I was born in Hammersmith, grew up in West London, mm. um, you know, and I struggled to kind of identify, well, okay, mm. you know, people don't really respect my faith or they don't understand it, they don't understand where I've come from, they kind of make jokes about my culture mm. and my dress. And I don't, I, 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 I don't want my children, no. although, although, you know, that kind of friction is no. in some ways healthy, I don't want well, my children to have to go through this real angst of I, like, who am I and sometimes just I just want to pitch yeah. in and I just hold back. But I don't bit. think that's, you know, this, I'm going to say something that sounds really weird now, you know, there's no such thing as a standard person and white people, um, you know, I went, I went to a, I went to a, uh, I went to a drop in Wakefield, I went to primary school, I was we were the only, pretty much the only black family in the, in the You're city. You're from Yorkshire? Right? Yeah. And what I noticed in observing all this is that people are different. <laughs> people are different. Mm. So, you know, humanity is not we're, not, we're not clones. And white people, individuals, struggle to assert their individuality and who they are against the prejudices of others. That is, that I think that is just the natural dynamic of becoming yourself, right? Mm. With black people, again, using the word politically, What's layered on that is a whole history and the dynamics of racism and prejudice that resulted from some of that. You've got two choices in my view. One is to work with it, you know, because you can only be yourself, everyone else is occupied. <laughs> or basically knuckle under and, and accept false consciousness as a way of living, which in my view is quite a painful way to live. But but it is never it's just it's the way of it. And and I don't think that it's a bad thing necessarily. What's bad about it is when it's exploited. You know, you don't. We, we've only just met, right? We, we we have to do what human beings do. You know, tell our stories and mm. you know, sort of stand each other, work out whether we can trust each other or not. Whether mm. that's normal. It doesn't. That happens whether you're black, white, green, yellow. It, that's what human beings do. What's 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 I think frightening now is the way that um, ignorance has been weaponized to make that difficult make it challenging mm. and to make people feel ashamed of who they are mm. you know I think of my daughter uh, you know she she's at school mm. and uh, actually interestingly I'm in Murfield oh right that's okay. where I live that's, okay. that's really weird it's next door to Wakefield yeah it is yeah. Um, very nice place actually. yeah nice um, and my daughter's at a grammar mm. right mm. and uh, she, and mm. as you know, in the north, I think, I think there's a Mur Murphy. No, no, that's Murphy Free Grammar. Is, yeah, the, there's, there's Heckman White. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's, where, right. that's, that's where Joe Cox went. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Good well. school. And um, she she came back one day, and she basically when the girls hit puberty, mm. like by some alchemy, they split into white and non-white groups, mm. right? Mm. And she had a foot in either camp. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. And so. And this was the friction I'm talking about. And she and I said, look, it's in, yeah. in a way, it's, it's a superpower for you, right? It's because yeah. you're able to relate to different people. Yeah. Yeah. And so she would sit with a white friend and they would say things like, um, right, let's have a party, but no Asians, right? Yeah. And then she would sit with her brown mates and they'd be making similarly yeah, yeah, disparaging yeah, about com uh, comments about white people. And this is happening yeah. as a third generation yeah. In a, pro in a grammar school, yeah. you know, where people are meant to be, yeah, you know... Yeah. There's a couple of things I'd say about that. The first is Yorkshire's different. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, York. it's different. Yeah. Not, it is. So like, there's a reason why people come to London, right? 300 languages are spoken in London. Mm. My, my son 
has friends who are white, brown, black, um, all shades of skin colour. Uh, that's normal. He grew up with that, right? My daughter's the same, right? In Yorkshire, Wakefield, Murfield, there are fewer black people. They just aren't. And 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 the 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 big city dynamic of being forced together doesn't exist. So the expectation you can separate out much more easily. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there aren't separate communities in London. There are. But ultimately, it's referred to as a melting pot. It's yeah. where people come to almost disappear as identity and merge. And, it, and it's easier, and it's interesting, you know, London didn't vote Brexit. London is generally more accepting of, of immigration than anywhere else. It's where immigrants come, you know, if you want to become part of... The further out of the big cities, Birmingham's the same, Bristol maybe, you know, Manchester... The more, the sharper the dynamics, the interfaces. I'm not saying that the, that you don't have these, um, um, that you don't have people coming together. You don't have, it, but it's just. I think it's a little harder. You know, I just remember growing up in Wakefield and, and noticing um, that 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 the Pakistani community was very separate. You know, that, mm. um, in London you do have schools where you've got you know 80 percent Asian. In fact, there's one very good school near me um, uh, where need to pass an exam to get in and it's mm. almost it's almost well, 80%. Il Ilford County is more than 95% basically yeah yeah but when they leave that school they go home at night they've got to pass they've got to they've got to get on a bus with you know, black kids white kids that that even you know when they're going out socially you know central London you just can't avoid it you just cannot avoid it so because and I just think that drives a different slightly different dynamic I, th I think what, I think what you're talking I might about be wrong, there, no and I, I think, think what you're talking about there is basically the dynamic outside of major cities yeah, yeah. right which is actually the majority different. of this country yeah, yeah right? I agree Hardy, I listened to a podcast called over the bridge <clears throat> might have come across it it's basically four inner city black guys mm. Who studied at Cambridge, mm. right? Recently graduated, right? And they don't didn't know each other beforehand, yeah. but they met at I Cambridge. I think I've heard of this. Yeah. And it's super interesting mm. because they are inner city kids, mm. right? They sound mm -hmm. like inner city kids, and again, they found their way there. And their very very first podcast, they've done about twenty twenty five mm. now, maybe more, was was Cambridge worth it, mm. right? Mm. And we all know what they're trying to get mm. at because. Mm. I, on my mm, mother's side of the family, mm, mm. this is me bragging now, so on my mother's side of the family, mm. I had uh, a cousin go to Oxford, mm. and on my father's side mm. of the family, Probably I had one go to Cambridge. Yeah. Both of them struggled with their identity mm. at Cambridge. Mm. So I'm curious mm. about your experience mm. of Cambridge and whether mm. it challenged your sense yeah. of self. I think, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. I think, before I get to that, just briefly what Victor was saying, I think that this concept that we're beyond race, we haven't even looked at it hardly, rather than say, now we're saying we're beyond it, yeah. and that we have this colour blindness yeah, that um, we don't look at colour. Well, that's not what people of colour want to hear. No. We want to hear that, yeah, you recognise it, because it's obvious, um, but that's cool, that's great. You know, just sweeping things under the rug or getting several rugs for these things is not the way. My experience at Cambridge was really interesting. So. A lot of my friends who I went to college with were doing medicine. A lot of them were Asian women. I went to an all-girls, there's two all-girls colleges remaining in Cambridge. I went to one of them. And so a lot of my friends were Asian, which was new because I didn't really have that before. But they were all sort of very, um, a, a bit like me. You know, they would say they were British. Uh, they they love you know they love being here. A lot of them came from in and around London. Uh, they were very sort of. I guess comfortable with their, they love their culture but love being British. Uh, I didn't actually, for me, Cambridge was unusual because 
I didn't get to Cambridge and not see any brown people. I saw a lot of brown people, actually. I saw lots of Asian people um, who were studying at Cambridge. For me, Cambridge wasn't necessarily about race or learning lessons about race. It was about learning lessons about class. Uh, it's the only place I've ever been or the first place I've ever been where people will literally not have conversations with you because they can they will look at you with one eye and um, they, they know that They're you're not from their world. And I'm not They're saying that was yeah, ge yeah. that's generally the case. It's not. But I had a few experiences of that and I thought, wow, that's, they won't even like talk to you because they know you're not, there's no sense. You know, we're not from the same background. So that's interesting. So I think I've had it. And, and again, then I had all this sort of thing about me looking quite white and people assuming I'm white. Um, people assuming that I went to a private school. I went to a girls' brown <coughs> school in South East London. So there were, I've, I mean, and I think you're right, all, all of these experiences do challenge what you think about your identity and your, and your race. Um, and it, it is very nuanced, yeah. So we'll be back tomorrow, Hardeep, myself and Victor. Uh, and we're going to move on from Empire. We're probably going to be talking about uh, issues related to climate change democracy or the undermining of democracy brexit and uh well whatever else comes to mind from the fest it's beautiful here absolutely incredible uh it's one of the best ways to spend a few days in summer amongst people who want to see change and you can feel it you can smell it see you tomorrow